This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled today to get a chance to visit Gene Yang. Gene is the president of Tufts Health Public Plans. Tufts Health Public Plans. She's going to talk about what exactly that is and what's changing in the world of health plans and a lot more. Gene, can you take a moment, introduce yourself, and tell us about Tufts Health Public Plans? Thank you, Scott. It's really glad to be here. Um, as you said, that I'm the president of Tufts Health Public Plans. Uh, this is one of the three business divisions in a, in a larger company. We actually have a new name. It's called Point32 Health. This is the a combination of a former Tufts Health Plan and Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare. Both are New England-based nonprofit health plans. Um, so uh, we are the public plans division of this larger organization. We're dedicated to serving low-income residents um, in the New England region. Uh, we are actually in two New England states, Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Um, so as I said, uh, we serve low-income residents that include Medicaid um, beneficiaries, um, people who purchase subsidized insurance through the ACA marketplace, um, and also duly eligible uh, residents who are eligible for both Medicaid and Medicare. How is that business? How is that business of serving the underserved through Medicaid plans, dual eligible plans? How is that business changing and been changing over the last couple of years and through COVID? What What are some of the trends that you watch in that you know the the, the public plans area in the underserved area? Yeah, that's a very, very good question, Scott. Thank you for asking that. Um, as you can imagine, uh, this is a population that is vulnerable. They have complex needs. Um, many of them suffer um, from both medical diseases, but also social economic challenges, behavioral health challenges, which makes serving them uh, complicated but incredibly important. Now, the upside is that there is so much innovation in the market um, through technology and, and, and data and then, thankfully, good policies uh, that allow us to do a lot more. Now, you mentioned that um, the recent pandemic has been a, an unprecedented experience. I think it's fair to say that. On the one hand, it really put many people through um, significant challenges, but it does you know, gave, did give us a lot of learning um, in terms of what are the things that are possible, what are the things that are really, really important. Um, so, for example, um, it is, you know, becoming clear to us that uh, going to see the doctor in the office is not the only way to, to obtain health care services. There are ways to care for people remotely. There are ways to um, stay in touch with people um, through other ways, uh, other methodologies. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's really, really important for us to, throughout the time, um, stay in touch with the community, stay in touch with the patients, particularly the vulnerable ones, to make sure that they have access to critical care that they need, especially as their life circumstances change. So there was just a ton of learning experience that keeps us very busy. And, and what about vaccine hesitancy in the in, in the lower income communities and so forth, what are you seeing? Is that, are you seeing vaccine hesitancy? Are you not? What, do you have a sense of that? Um, I, I think it varies from state to state and region to region and frankly, community to community. 
Um, I, I do think that there is a degree of, uh, of vaccine hesitancy. I, I think it's just simply incorrect to say that um, as long as vaccines are available, people are just going to be vaccinated. That, it doesn't happen that way. Um, however, in terms of the reason for the hesitancy, I think it's much more complicated uh, than people not wanting to get the vaccine. It could be that people don't have enough knowledge about, you know, what the vaccine is going to do or not do. Um, people don't know if, if there are differences in terms of getting the vaccine here or there now or later. So there is a, there's a ton of information sharing uh, that is necessary. And then we have an obligation to take uh, the information to people um, in a way that is easily accessible to them. So one of the things that our company did uh, a couple of months ago uh, when vaccines were first, you know, initially became uh, widely available, we recognized that it would be difficult for some of the communities to um, take uh, sort of actions to, to, to sign up for uh, spots in those mass centers or otherwise just go out of their way to get their shots. Uh, we, we felt like it was really important to make uh, the vaccine much, much more accessible to them. So we drove uh, buses that were converted to mobile clinics, and uh, we, we drove these to um, community areas where our populations would congregate. Uh, you, you literally wait for people to come out of a grocery store, come out of a, a, a sort of a, a, a convenience store, come out of a laundromat, and then say, you know, you want to get your vaccine. Um, this is the vaccine. This is the COVID vaccine. It's important that you get it. It's the right thing for your family. And then we're all getting it. I got mine at one of our buses as well. Um, and then that made a difference um, because people need to know uh, what the vaccine is um, and then get their questions answered and then make it extremely convenient for them. So, so long story short, um, I don't think that we have done enough um, to help people um, get their access to the vaccine. I am confident the vast majority of the people are willing to get vaccines if we're bringing the information and access to them. Fantastic. When you look at this year, Gene, when you, what, are, what are your big priorities this year? Oh, we have, we have a ton of uh, priorities. Um, you know, as a, as a business, we are serving Medicaid populations uh, as I said, that we are in both Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Um, both states are upcoming for re-procurement. Um, so that's a little bit of a technical term that the state um, going out to bid and deciding which health plans they will work with to serve their population. It's a very, very big deal for us. And for us, uh, these procurements essentially sort of, a, it's, a, it's an exercise to this determine what our five years going to look like um, coming up next. Strategically, what are some of the priorities and what we wanted to achieve uh, relative to what we have achieved to date. Um, so these are very um, ambitious efforts uh, and we're all very excited about, uh, about these. Um, and uh, we also have a lot of work to do to strengthen the core of our business, uh, which means that means bringing new capabilities um, into the company, building um, new solutions, and potentially offering new products. Um, so those are very, very exciting for us as well. 
And then last but not least, as I mentioned, that we're a new company. Uh, we just came together um, in the first part of 2021 as a combined company. When a new company comes together, many, many things happen. Um, and to me, one of the most important things uh, happening is actually a new, new company culture is forming. Um, new teams and individuals are working together. I'm very excited about building a new team uh, that makes this even stronger. Now, now, you merged with one of the Harvard plans, the Harvard Pilgrim Health Plan, correct? Yeah, the, the Harvard plan. There's only one. Um, so yeah, The Harvard plan. The Harvard yes. plan. Now, now, that, Gene, is spoken like a true Harvard person. And so I can poke fun at Harvard because, like you, I went to Harvard, so I'm allowed to poke fun. Okay. When Tufts, okay. when Tufts, when Tufts merges with Harvard, does it denigrate the brand of Tufts or is it okay? Um, it's okay. Uh, hopefully it's more than okay. Uh, like I said, we pride ourselves in, as one of the um, uh, premier New England nonprofit health plans, if I may say so. And if there is one other organization that's very similar to us, that would be Harvard Pilgrim, our, our next door neighbor. We were, we were similar in size. We were similar, you know, with some overlap in footprint. Uh, we're both very big in Massachusetts and in, in a few other surrounding states that have some overlap. Um, there are some differences as well. So they were primarily commercial business with some Medicare business. Uh, we are all lines of business, including um, serving Medicaid, which, is, which will be something new um, to the, the Heritage Harvard colleagues. So as a as a new company, there's some familiar uh, aspects of it, um, but all of a sudden we're a much bigger company with bigger footprints and then sort of um, sort of a, a larger um, suite of products, um, including Medicaid for the first time to many of the colleagues that I have. It, it, and you've had overall this just absolutely magnificent career, and, and in some ways you were a um, you know it had come back to Tufts. Yeah. After after um, leaving Tufts for several years, came back to Tufts Healthland. Now you're the president of it. Take a moment on just you know two minutes of career advice for aspiring professionals. I mean, you've got this magnificent background, and we're a boomerang. Came back to Tufts to lead Tufts. A little career advice for people trying to have great careers. Ah, uh, well, I'm not sure about advice. Uh, but I would say that I'm, I'm thankful for the many opportunities that came my way. Um, and, and I'm also um, uh, someone that feels fortunate about taking some important steps um, at important junctures of my career um, so that I was able to expose myself to a lot of opportunities. Um, one thing is, I, I guess, especially when you're young, uh, don't... Um, you say sort of keep an open mind. Uh, don't tell yourself that you have seen the world because you haven't. Um, and uh, be willing to change your mind, uh, be willing to reassess. Um, so for example, I was uh, originally trained as a scientist. I was studying immunology for many years. Um, and I was working in research labs, um, interacting with physicians and other professionals in the medical community. And then I became a lot more interested um, in the business aspect of healthcare because it became clear to me that some of the more thorny issues are not scientifically based, it's more about 
how um, human beings interact with each other um, in economically driven environment. That was just a fact. Um, so I think I, 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 at some point I had to make a decision because you, you cannot do everything um, and then you have to choose where you want to focus on your energy. So I made a career switch um, to going from the scientific side to the business side. Um, and then I joined healthcare companies and went through consulting. So it was all very, very good training. So I went to a tough health one. And then the other, I would say, uh, significant turning point in my life uh, would be leaving top health plan to go into the state government. So again, I joined the state government in 2010, um, and I have since, even though I left the state and came back to the private, to the private sector, but as you can see, uh, that I have stayed in uh, government health care, um, because I, I do think that this is something that I'm uh, very, very passionate about. It's probably enough problems and challenges and, and excitement to to sort of feed my soul for the rest of my life, I can definitely see myself being in this space for as long as I can see. Um, and, uh, and I'm very proud of that. I, I do think that uh, government business has unique meanings. Um, it's not just about the mission side of it. It's, it's not just about serving the vulnerable. It, it's also because healthcare is just simply too complicated and too important to let the market do the whole thing. Um, and sometimes uh, it's not just about um, what is in the in the best interest of certain sort of sort of stakeholders. It's about what is the right thing for the market. And um, and and sometimes if done right, government policies can make the market progress more quickly. Um, so it's good for information. Um, it's it's good for policies. It's, it's certainly the right thing for the market. So I I like government policy. I, I, I like uh, government-driven healthcare. Um, I think it, it has an important obligation and has a lot of opportunities. So it's a long well, and, answer. I'm it, not sure I gave an advice either, but those are No, no, no. Things. It's magnificent. I'll ask you one more tough question in a second. The, um, but but the, the market can't solve all the problems. We see this drastically today where there's just this huge looming shortages of doctors and nurses and so forth. And, and, and we can't really have the market address it because we, we need to find some way to solve it because there's not enough medical schools, there's not enough residency programs, somehow or another, the government's got to get involved if we have enough doctors and nurses. The, the market can solve part of it by developing technologies and so forth that may be less than the amount that we need, but we still, there's no way it's being solved by the market itself. The amount of doctors and nurses we need is just not happening. So a different question for you. You both spent time at the University of Michigan and at Harvard Business School, which is the better institution? You don't have to answer that. Which which one did you like more? And you don't have to answer that either. Any any thoughts on Harvard versus Michigan? Um, let me just put this way: uh, I I really missed out on uh, my experience with the University of Michigan because I spent way too much time in a research lab up on North Campus. I was there for two. Uh, no, I was there for two and a half years or so, I never ever set my foot in that big stadium. You know how in the University of Michigan, there's this world famous big stadium, Tom Brady used to play there. I never set my foot there. Um, and uh, it took me years to realize how unusual it was. Uh, so that's a regret. Um, so I, I don't blame Michigan uh, for my, uh, 
my lack of excitement. Um, but, uh, but, but I suffice to say, um, my impression of Michigan was a research lab with the rats in them, because that's what I worked with. Uh, Harvard is uh, a slightly different story. <laughs> Uh, yes, the, the big house at Michigan, the big house at Michigan in, in in the in the old days, Michigan used to once in a while beat Ohio State, but it's been a very long time. But I, I have okay. a daughter that went I, I have a daughter that went to University of Michigan. And of course, I grew up in Chicago. You grew up either you're a Michigan fan or you hate Michigan. So I grew up, of course, not being a Michigan fan. <laughs> and I made it a point of pride. My my daughter, I'm very, very close with, you know, and uh but I made it a point of pride, even visiting every couple months, every month or so to see her, to never go in the big house, just out of my childish, perverse dislike of the University of Michigan. But I've grown to respect it and like it because my daughter had such a remarkable experience there. So I'm no longer an anti-Wolverine, but I'm not a pro big house guy either. Okay, well, that's, that's good to know. Uh, but uh, it's, in all seriousness, it's a great institution. That was my first stop in the United States. Um, I didn't mention I'm an immigrant from China. So the first time I landed in this country in 1994 as a new graduate student was Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I, I, uh, I, I learned a ton. Uh, so I, I'm thankful for Ann Arbor, Michigan. And, and let me ask you this question, because you were at Beijing University, you know, yes. in, in, in Beijing. So what was that like? What is that compared to? What's that like compared to the United States universities? What's that like? I mean, you, you mentioned going to Michigan and really studying very, very hard, you know, uh, trying to get ahead, trying to work hard. What's it like at Beijing University? What's the campus culture like? Is there, are there sports teams? Is it similar to the U.S. experience or is it very different? Just give us yeah, one bit of insight into, yeah. <laughs> into Beijing, you know, University, Peking or Beijing? What did you call? I mean, I know it, it says it on your LinkedIn. Both are fine. Both are fine. Oh. You know, you can't make a mistake uh, with that. But uh, First of all, uh, Beijing University is a fantastic institution. It trains uh, really hundreds, if not thousands, of excellent um, scholars. Um, and uh, I'm very proud of my experience there. I would say you, you, you don't, you can grow a lot more, I would say, um, if you come to the United States and then continue to study. Um, it's, it's a different experience. It's really a combination. It would be the best. Um, it, in Chinese universities uh, and, and college campuses, students work very hard. Um, it's probably fair to say that they would spend more hours in libraries and, and laboratories um, and then just studying hours. Um, so people work very, very hard. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe things are changing a little bit. But back then, you work hard for the sake of working hard. Uh, it's not necessarily because of your passion um, and then your, your interest and then your curiosity. Um, so when I came to Michigan, so remember I said that I, I at some point I made a career change that I felt that I was more interested in the business side and then the science side. Um, and I realized that, you know, even though I, I could be a better student, I could work harder, but my, my peers, they were more interested in the subject. They were having more fun, um, and that is different. Um, so it took me a while to realize that, you know, I could thrive the most if it's something that I am driven to do, and I have to have a dialogue with myself. So what what excites you? What clicks for you? 
um, what makes you want to jump out of the bed, out of bed and, and go solve things. Um, so, and then it's, you know, like I said, I realized it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a journey and I wanted to do the business, what is a journey? the healthcare business and then, um, and then government healthcare. So maybe, maybe there's another turn somewhere. Uh, I'm still easily waiting. Um, but the important thing is that you, you want to ask yourself, um, what you want to do, what you want to solve, what you want to commit to and, and, and follow that path. No, I think about gifts. I'm going to ask you one more question. I promise I'll let you go, Gene, but just a great pleasure to visit with you, a great privilege. Harvard Business School. At, at Harvard Business School, it seemed like there was this mix of people that were really smart, and then there was a lot of people that just seemed like the operators that were just trying to sort of get ahead, to be the young CEO, to be this, to be that, to be the New York hedge fund person, an investment banker, a consultant. What was that like? What was that group of people like at Harvard Business School coming here as an immigrant, and having been at Michigan for a couple of years, what were some of your impressions going to Harvard Business School? Um, it's, a, it's a few stages. <laughs> you know, you definitely have that initial phase, well, uh, like, I don't belong. I, I, how did I get in here? I don't belong here. I can't finish a sentence where everybody is so articulate, everybody has seen the world. Um, but then you realize that um, there, there are things that you can compete with them on. Um, and then eventually, it's, there are things that you can not only compete, you can probably contribute to that community. Uh, but in the end, I really enjoyed my time at Harvard Business School. It is one of those institutions where you are free to really express uh, yourself. You can ask any questions. Uh, if there is a place where no question is a super question, I would, I would say that's called a business school. Um, that may be a little surprise to people. I feel that I have asked a ton of super questions from which I have learned most from myself uh, and from others. It's a super question. Um, so is there I, I a, a, yeah, go ahead. Is there a Harvard Business School professor? Is there one or two professors that you remember most vividly is having the most impact on you? Um, there probably are, are, are many. Um, and, uh, so there was, there was, there was one professor that taught an incredibly difficult class, uh, called corporate finance engineering, um, that talked about option pricing and, and all of the things. His name was Peter Pafano. Um, and, uh, but he was the one that, you know, through a semester, starting from co-calling me, uh, probably realizes that this student just has no idea what, why she was sitting in that room, all the way to the end where she, he and I could actually have a real debate on something that I don't even remember uh, because it was so complicated. But it, it, at least it just tells you that, um, you know, you can learn a lot. Um, and if you're confident, if you're willing to conquer something, uh, it's, it's, it's really, Complexity is, is really just, you know, part of the journey. Um, at the end, it's about finding an answer and solve the problem. And then don't be intimidated by complexity. And that's probably a good way to characterize a lot of uh, what we're trying to do in healthcare too. Gene, I will let you go. What a great pleasure to visit with you. For our audience, I know we didn't have perfect audio connection today, 
but Gene Yang is a person worth listening to. So I hope people listen all the way through. What a great pleasure to visit you, Jane, and continued, uh, Gene, and continued good luck and success. Just really a remarkable, remarkable career. Thank you very much for Thank joining us. Thank you so today. much. Thank you, Scott. Have a good day.